1: Hello and welcome to Upward Way. I am your host, Marlon Walters. My guests today are co-directors of Know the Savior Today Ministries, Vernon and Debbie Newman. welcome to Upward Way.
2: Thank you, Brother Marlon. It's good to be on. Uh, it's a privilege to be on your program.
1: It's a joy and privilege to me as well, and I know that you have quite a story to tell, and so I'll just start with. This question first. Could you just share a little about your ministry? That is Nova Savior today. Ministries. What is that all about? And then from there, we will just continue along this beautiful discussion.
2: Well, it's a it's a ministry that was birthed from our two stories. My adoption, as well as an adoption that um, involved giving away our firstborn son, and how the Lord eventually worked it out so that uh, we could both myself as well as our son whom we gave up to be reunited and reconciled i use the word and uh, through that process we came to understand that god works even when we are not aware that he is there or even cares and he's always working to try to come have us come to a knowledge of his love for us and his uh, forgiveness and saving
1: grace. Wonderful. I noticed you say, or you know, two stories coming together and I, I'm sure later you will explain even further what that is all about. But uh, in terms of your ministry, what are some of the things that you do? I mean, do you do go around doing presentations sessions? If you could just add a little bit more.
0: Yeah, we, Sometimes are invited to churches where we actually do the church service and we share our testimony in a sermon type of form. Then there are times where we are invited just to share the testimony itself. We go as many places as we're asked to go to and God has blessed and opened many doors for us to share. We've had opportunity to share in Canada and many of the states here. So we've been blessed.
1: Amen. And today you are actually sharing with us here in Japan. Well, the world by extension. Now, could you just share your faith journey in terms of, you know, how did you first became Christian? So that is maybe where do we all start?
0: Well, I was born um, a Seventh-day Adventist Christian. I'm third generation, actually fourth generation. My great-grandfather was a Baptist minister and four porters from Oakwood College came into his area and he accepted the truth. And his first church was under a walnut tree. So um, it's been many generations. I was born into the church, but my walk with Christ really became real when I went through the experience I went through.
2: In my case, uh, I was eight years old when I came into uh, the Seventh-day Adventist faith. I was born in South Korea which is primarily a Buddhist slash Confucianistic type culture. There's a sizable Christian community there now. But growing up, I didn't know anything about Christianity until I was taken to one of our orphanages in Seoul. And there I heard the name of Jesus for the first time. Of course, once I was adopted, I was adopted into an Adventist minister's family. And uh, of course, every Sabbath, I heard sermons about the faith and, and salvation and the gospel and so forth. And, and then I attended uh, church school, mostly through my elementary years from third grade onward, and except for a couple of years, uh, it was that I was in uh, a public school setting. But uh, most of the time from third grade on to... Graduating from high school, I was I was in Christian Seventh-day Adventist uh, educational environment. And so that uh, instilled in me uh, the faith that we all hold dear. And I'll explain a little later, perhaps, how I grew in my faith as well as in my love for the Lord and Word and all of that.
1: Brilliant, brilliant, so brilliant. It's amazing when you you both shared, you know, how things started out for you. And basically, you both entered the faith almost during the same time. Of course, for Debbie, it would have been from birth, actually. But for you, you were just a toddler. You you did mention um, being adopted. And you also mentioned that you had a child who was also given up for adoption. So for you first, I would like for you to just share, you know, Your experience, you know, being adopted, I mean, did you feel as if you were not so much a part of this family? You know, what was the integration process like?
2: As I mentioned, I I was born in South Korea, adopted at the age of eight. And prior to coming to the States, many of the children in my situation, I was uh, the product of of a GI and my mother getting together. The GI was uh, a black army sergeant. And the two of them fell in love. And so I grew up in an environment that looked negatively on children of mixed heritage. Many of us look forward to, how should I put it, looking for a better, better life, better country. And once I came to the States and uh, began to live with the new family, over time, I fully identified. Uh, over time, I lost Conscious memory of my language. I even lost the conscious memory of my mother's name. All of those things. So I, I fully integrated into, into the new family. Not that I forgot my mother, but my new identity was with this new family.
1: Well, that, that is indeed remarkable. And it is comforting to hear you saying that because, you know, persons have mindsets when they hear of adoption, okay, you know, it's, it's not going to work out for the child, that kind of thing. So in your case, it would have been a blessing for you. Now, another question I'll ask, you know, what would be your, say, suggestion or advice to persons who may be contemplating, you know, making their homes available, you know, to provide for someone who would have been, let us say, in a situation like yours. They don't have their family around or situation is maybe negative. What would be your advice to persons who would want to embrace someone into their family by way of adoption?
0: My advice is almost hard for me to say since I was never adopted. Let me interject
2: here. Um, Adoption is a very special thing that a person can do. To invite someone that is not a part of you by blood and invite that person and accept that person into your family and have that child made to feel a part of the family i think there is there is nothing greater in my mind one person can do for another to show the love of god to a child who who has perhaps experienced negativity growing up and abandonment perhaps but for me it has it has been a salvific paradigm. That's what I consider uh, adoption to be a a paradigm of salvation. You know, all of us, all of us who are born into the world come into the world on the wrong side of the tracks as it were. (laughs) But there is someone who has a heart to take in children on the wrong side of the tracks. And that is God. And that is Jesus Christ. In fact, Jesus crossed the tracks to come rescue those from the wrong side. And that's the way I look at it. And, and the people who have that kind of heart, I just, I can't say enough about the love of God being expressed in, in that action.
1: What comes to mind is that the way God embraced us. As the scripture says, you know, while we were yet sinners, you know, Christ died for the ungodly and he embraced us in his love. And that is what you just outlined adoption to be. Thank you for that. So, you have had your story where you mentioned um, earlier that, you know, your firstborn became adopted. Could you just walk us through that journey? What, what led to that, you know, the experience, all of that? Later on, we will piggyback on some of the elements. Vernon and I were not
0: married. And, um, not just not married, but we weren't, we were not ready mentally, emotionally, spiritually. Although both of us were being raised Seventh-day Adventist Christians, like many of us, you don't always follow. You walk away a little bit. And that's where we were. We were not grounded. And as a result, we had a child out of wedlock. Um, We felt that this would be the best thing for um, our son was to put him in a home with both parents, a father and a mother, and not have him uh, split between two homes because we didn't know what we were doing you know, at that time. And so we made that decision to place him up for adoption. And we tried to make sure we found a, a really good adoption agency Uh, We did our research so that we could choose parents that would um, step up to the plate of being uh, good parents. We both decided that we did not want an agency that put adopted children in homes where there were natural children of the parents. That was one of the big reasons we chose this particular adoption agency, that these parents could not have children. And so whatever siblings would be there would be also adopted. So there would be an equal ground for them. It wasn't an easy decision. It was very hard. And when I gave birth to him, the first question the doctor asked was, did I want to see the baby? And I told him, yes, definitely want to see him. Because I wasn't giving him away because I did not love him or did not want him. I wanted him to have better than what I could give. I needed to have that type of closure. Both of us needed to have that closure of seeing him, you know, saying our, our goodbyes instead of wondering.
1: There's a song in the Adventist hymnal, I think it is 526, but there's a line that says, you know, how sweet it is to hold a newborn baby. I, I can't remember the exact title of the song, but what was that experience like? seeing that child, you know, coming out, you are creating that child in your arm. What was that experience like? I I imagine magical. It
0: was very magical to the point when I held him for the first time, I knew in my heart that I couldn't give him away. And I was willing to um, do whatever I had to do to keep him at that point. But not knowing where we would be, I called home to my parents that I couldn't give him away, that I wanted to keep the baby. And um, my father was not very happy with that to the point that he told me if I kept the baby that he did not want me coming home. So because of that, we thought best then to continue on with um, the adoption. But holding that little boy deep in my heart I knew that one day, maybe I would um, see him again and get to hold him again. The one thing that I did while in the hospital, I asked, have him stay a little longer so that I could get to bond with him. So for four days, they would bring him into the room early and I got to keep him for the day. And I would just talk to him, just continually talk to him. And... um, The nurse one day asked me, why did I talk to him so? And I said, because one day when I see him again, he's going to know my voice.
1: (laughs) Oh, Remarkable, remarkable. You know, in the midst of the pain, because obviously there would have been pain. And you mentioned, you know, calling home saying, you know, I'd want to keep my child, but the support system wasn't there. But you did mention that hope, you know, I can feel it. Hebrews 11 verse 1 says, faith is a substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seed. I know you can't answer from your family's perspective as to why the decision was, if you keep that child, you're not coming home. But I want you to, if it's not too much, of course, the pain that you experienced during that time, I, I, I can't imagine what that must have felt like both for you and also for Vernon. So if you could just just share a little, you know, what was your emotional state at that point?
0: It was um, very dark for me. Um, it was already very emotional, just going through the pregnancy and then having this child and the guilt of the way the child came about. And knowing how disappointed God must have been. But then to have my father say that to me, it just felt like I was broken. And I felt very lost. I felt very alone. And I felt very unloved. Part of me was was wanting um, Vernon to be that white knight, you know, and stand up and say, you know, we're gonna do this together. But I think for him, he just, he wasn't there yet. He wasn't, he wasn't emotionally there yet for himself. I mean, after we've talked about it now through all these years, it was very um, confusing for him going through the same guilt and not knowing how to handle. But it was, it was a hard time for both of us. He had a moment where he sat in the car telling himself, go back in there, you know, take control.
1: Well, <laughs> I know he wanted to add his piece, so sure, go ahead. <laughs> what was it like for you? Well, the day
2: before the adoption agency was to come to the hospital to, to get our baby, I, I, came, I came to see the baby for the last time. And as De- Debbie mentioned, you know, the sense of guilt, the sense of, you know, feeling that that I was I was failing this child that I've brought into the world, and not being able to emotionally and in other ways be the be the man, be the father that he needed, tell the baby and just wept in anguish and sorrow and guilt, all those emotions mixed together. That did not ease up afterward. After our baby was, was given up for adoption, there was not a day that went by that somehow I didn't think about him and, and the guilt that I carried on my shoulders in my soul. I just prayed that the Lord would be with him and be with the new parents to give him the support that I could not.
1: All right. Thank you very much for sharing that part. I can see, you know, I could sense the, the frustration, you know, the, the emotional pain. You did say too that at that point you weren't, you weren't married, but today, you know, you are happily married. So to move on to, I would say, happier times, happier moments, you know, how did that come about? You know, I imagine you also have other children and I know today, you know, you and your son that was adopted are together. So just walk us through that happy moment of you know deciding okay we're gonna get married and family life
2: yeah about um, five months after the adoption uh, during those five months i did see debbie and um, i saw the deep pain and sorrow that she was struggling with and i think out of a sense of guilt more than anything else i asked her to marry me and why why I thought that that would solve anything uh, under the circumstances, you know, I've not been able to to come to, but at the time I thought that that would somehow help to ease the pain.
0: Yeah, I think I was feeling the same way. It was it was a difficult time for the both of us for a while. There, I called the adoption agency almost every day, calling to check on the baby until they told me to stop calling Um, and it was just it was so difficult so when when we said yes that we would marry I think both of us were hoping to ease the pain one thing that we shared and I can't say that it was love but what we shared was pain it was that pain of the hurt that brought us together now That is not a way to bring a union together, but, um, and it was not easy. It was not the marriage that anyone would say they would want to have in the beginning. It was rough because we came in with such baggage and not true sense of love for each other. And I think that was that breaking point for both of us and a deep search at that point to really find God again, because the brokenness did not end with us getting married. It actually added more brokenness to us.
1: You know, I, I, enjoy, I enjoy your openness and honesty as you share your, your journey. And as an outsider looking in, I could deduce to say, because you already lost something, you felt, you know, getting married would at least minimize the loss. So let me just look at it from that, from that angle. But you spoke about, you know, going through the difficulty. And so there must have been an anchoring point. And I imagine that would have been your faith. How have you, throughout the years, you know, invested in your own spiritual development? Because I, I get a sense that was the anchoring point throughout that journey. So how did you invest Or how have you been investing in your spiritual development?
0: (laughs) Well, I think for me, the first thing that I had to do was to ask God to forgive me. The guilt was so strong. It was like the burden was just so heavy. And once I allowed God to forgive me um, and let him just give me the peace, because I asked for that. I asked God, just give me peace. Because we were we were destroying ourselves. You know, the guilt was just so unbearable. And I had to just, you know, I had to make that choice to say, okay, you know, I've got to give this to God because He is the only one that can can lift that heavy burden. And that was the choice I made. And I asked him to forgive me and to give me peace. And then I started getting back into the word and and prayer really spending time in prayer you know god gave us children he gave us two daughters so putting that time into our children and developing a real good time with the lord but you know even though you tell yourself your surrender you still have some of that tends to hold you back because for me after having children part of me i would say always felt that someone whether it be Vernon or someone else was going to come and take them from me. And so I struggled with that for a while, almost to the point that I would even try to keep them from Vernon. The struggle was real. I had to really choose every day. The walk was every day. It wasn't like I pray on Monday and then maybe again next Monday. It was an everyday thing that I had to really work hard at in surrendering myself. So that God could continue to.
2: In my situation, um, the guilt that I harbored in my heart, instead of driving me to the Lord, it it in a sense put a wedge, put a a veil between us, so that I could not see Him clearly. Although in my mind and in my heart, I I longed for closer relationship with Him, yet. In retrospect, as I look back at that period, I was running away from God. You know, Adam and Eve, they what did they do as soon as they sinned? They ran away from God, not toward Him. And that was my experience most of my life, this, you know, pull and tug, you know, seeking God and running from Him at the same time. It it was a confusing <laughs> spiritual journey at, at best. and. Um, I remember sitting in church and I shared this in my testimony, but one Sabbath and, and the pastor was talking about agape love. And I had never heard it explained the way that he explained it. That you know, he he said that agape is an other centered love that invests value into the object. It doesn't wait for it to be the object to be good, before it invests that love, it seeks after that soul, that person. You know, while we were yet sinners, Christ came to this earth and died for us. When I heard that that gospel, I may, may have heard that before, but it never sunk in until that morning. Because I was sitting there feeling like, you know, the, the weight of guilt was just crushing me. And Satan was doing his job. He was on his, on his game poking into my soul with taunting, saying, you're, you're not good enough to be loved. God doesn't love you. He, you know, he can't love you. Look at you, look at what you've done. And uh, when I heard about agape love and that I didn't have to be good for God to love me. In fact, he died for a sinner like me. That took a lot of weight off of my shoulder that I had been carrying by that time, I don't know, maybe 20 years almost. And uh, I always long for a closer relationship with Jesus. But I had a difficult time relating to God. Because I had grown up in an environment without a father for eight years, those formative years. I'm thinking that's what, you know, made it difficult for me to relate to God as a father. I didn't have a father figure for so long. But Eventually, eventually, as we will talk about, you know, how God orchestrated the reconciliation, the reunion, you know, that, that changed things, my perspective.
0: One I, of the um, things that I, I did that was a daily time with God was me praying for my son. For his, the first five years of his life, I prayed that God would just take care of him and keep him, keep him safe and healthy. And rest of those years, I prayed each day, Lord, let my son want to know me today. And I prayed that prayer for 20, 20 some years. <laughs> I prayed that prayer every day. That was one of my talks with the Lord.
1: This is amazing, you know, twofold, you know, double amazing. I like sports, you know, and now it's the Olympic season. So when I hear Brother Vernon saying, you know, how much he was running, I imagine that if, if you were into sports, you'd be a good 5,000 meter runner, you know, if you were running. And also you mentioned carrying that weight. So not only were you running, but you had the weight. These weightlifters, you know, they didn't stand a chance against you. But on a serious note, though, uh, it speaks to the importance of what you mentioned, you know, God loves us always. One of my former pastors, he had a quote that he would say, his quotation was love in spite of. So he said, for me, when I see people, that is the attitude I want to take. Love them in spite of their circumstances. And that's how God loves us. When you talk about the agape, love, and, you know, you talk about the guilt. That is why forgiveness is so important, you know, because it really sets us free. The Bible says, you know, who the Lord sets free is really free indeed. But sometimes we don't understand what God is saying. And in your case, it wasn't that you were not forgiving someone. It was really yourself. But I'm happy that you were able to experience that freedom. I imagine it would have cut years, you know, off your life, so to speak. And so today you, you look so young. <laughs> oh, <yeah. laughs> and, and it just, as if you really could enter the Olympics of you know, one of those parts. So as you speak about that, you know, reconciliation moment, um, amazingly, you are saying for 20, over 20 years, you have been praying daily, God, I want my son to want to meet me today. I've read the Bible and I prayed. I've read the Bible, Daniel, the prophet prayed. Jesus, you know, fasted and prayed for 40 days. But you have been, you have been praying the same prayer for over 20 years. What kept you going?
0: That hope. Every time I prayed that prayer, that hope grew bigger. And all I can say is the Holy Spirit in me saying, keep on praying, keep on praying. I just felt felt good after I would pray that prayer. And so it just became a part of what I did. And he answered it. (laughs) He answered that prayer. And I'm just grateful that I did not stop. Now there's another prayer. (laughs) It's just a prayer of thanksgiving and a prayer of just keep him safe, dear Lord. Keep him safe. Yeah. That mother side of me.
1: (laughs) I would like for you to share now, you know, how did that, how was that prayer answered? You know, the culmination of that prayer being answered.
0: One day, Vernon was at work and a letter came to the house and it was addressed to Vernon And I didn't recognize the name of the place that it was coming from. I had a habit of opening um, his mail that looked important because when I would give him mail that looked important, I'd find it still sitting on the table days later. So I would start opening and look and go, okay, this is something that you really have to read. So I thought, well, I better open this. This looks important. And I opened it and I started to read and then i'm saying wait it looked familiar the part of the name said foundation now when we placed our son up for adoption the organization was called the barker foundation so um, i looked again i said foundation i know i know this foundation and i kept reading and it started off with who the name of the social work the person was that was writing and asking are you the vernon newman who lived in Pine Forge in the year 1979, and when I read the year, I knew, I knew right then and there, and I called him at work. I said, Paul, our son is looking for us, call, and um, he did, but the social worker had already gone um, for the day, so he called first thing the next morning, and he can tell that
1: The discussion has become pretty exciting and we have to pause here, but rejoin us next week or do tune in again next week as we'll have part two of our discussion. You've been in tune to Upward Way. Do join us again next week when we'll have another interesting guest sharing his or her story of faith. You can subscribe to weekly episodes on Apple, Spotify, and Listen Notes, or go to the App Store and download the AWR app. Until then, I am Marlon Walters. Say goodbye. May God bless you.
0: You've been listening to the Upward Way podcast, the number one audio production show for people who want encouragement and reassurance in a muddled world.